0: Today's teaching text is Luke two twenty-one to 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord,
1: and a sword will pierce your own soul too.
0: There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying.
1: The word of God for the people of God.
2: We have been having the worst luck with lighting these candles. If you've been with us every week, one has gone out every single time. But you know what? There's always been at least one lit, so hope is making a way. Um, Welcome again to First Free. My name is Matt. I serve as the pastor here. And uh, I'm glad to be with you. I, I, I do wonder for you, what sort of moment or image or scene marks the beginning of the Christmas season for you? What is it? What is that, that image or moment when you're like, okay, it's officially begun. The Christmas season has officially begun. Uh, For some, it's, it's as soon as the Halloween decorations go down and get put in their boxes, it's Christmas. Thanksgiving and Christmas sort of melt together into one long holiday season. For others, it's that moment that you get a peppermint mocha in that infamous red cup with a green mermaid on it. For others of us, it's when the city lights go up. When they light up the tree downtown, when they put the tree in the walnut room, or when the zoo lights brighten up Lincoln Park on cold nights. I went to zoo lights last night. It was a lovely freezing cold time. Then there's uh, others of us where the Christmas season begins the day after Thanksgiving or perhaps the night of Thanksgiving when you go and camp outside of a Best Buy or a Walmart (laughs) waiting for the doors to open so you can stampede past everyone to get, I don't know, like a half-off flat screen TV and that day, Black Friday as it is famously known, is the image of the holiday season beginning. I'm sure that you've seen uh, some of the viral videos or heard the tragic news of the injuries people sustain as they're sort of elbowed and stiff-armed and stepped on to grab at that deal. To grab at that deal. Pushing your way past others is, for many of us, the image of the season beginning. And the problem with that, of course, is it's the antithesis of waiting. It begins with rushing to consume no matter who gets hurt? And in a lot of ways, this is uniquely American, or at least Western. Uh, there's a, a, a guy named Jason Farman, and he's a professor at the Maryland University, and he's the author of a book called "Delayed Response: The Art of Waiting From the Ancient to the Instant World." And he says that in Japan, people line up differently than they do here. If they're going on the subway, they line up very neat and single file, very orderly. There's a, a single line before each door and everyone is lined up perfectly behind it. He says they even line up well in the midst of national crisis. After the Tohoku earthquake and the Fukushima crisis in 2008, And 11, as people waited in line for resources like food and water, it was incredibly orderly. No chaos, no stampeding. It was people honoring the wait as a symbol of their interconnectedness. Waiting was not seen as a negative thing. In fact, they in Japan described it as a contribution to society. They thought, we're all facing this crisis, so together we will wait for our resources because you are just as important as I am. And he says that in Uganda, there are some people who would gather at the bus stop on their way to work an hour before the bus would come just so they could wait together just so they could wait together. It's how they reiterated their connectedness, by waiting together. And these, of course, are more communal cultures, and we live in an individualistic culture, so these things seem very strange to me. In fact, I try to get to whatever appointment I have at least one minute late, uh, so I don't have to wait for anyone else in case they're not on time or late. And when we think about, you know, perhaps the most recent national crisis in our country, um, there wasn't much waiting to grab things off the shelves, right? We were running out of toilet paper and canned beans because if my household doesn't have it, it's not going to be a good thing, right? We're not so good at waiting. Um, I'm not so good at waiting. In fact, we've done just about everything we can to eliminate waiting, from our culture completely, from our daily lives. Think about the news. We've created a sort of 24-hour news cycle. So you never have to wait. In fact, if there's not news for each hour of the day, we'll create something that apparently we need to know about. You never have to wait to hear a news story. We have the Internet in our pocket So if you do choose the wrong line at the supermarket, of course, you can check your emails or social media. If you want food, you can get it delivered. If you want a book, you can even get same-day shipping. Or if that's too much of a wait, you just get it instantly on your Kindle. Immediately, you got that thing. No waiting necessary. And I wonder if you think this is, A fantastic thing or a problem? A problem. Jason Farman, who I already referenced, he asked the question, what happens to us as individuals and as a society if we eliminate wait times from our lives completely? You'd think we'd have more energy, more effectiveness, right, because we can get things quicker, they often get done easier, therefore we can get them done more efficiently, but actually we all just end up exhausted, and this is why he says anyways, this is a quote from him, quote he says, boredom, daydreaming, and waiting activate a part of the brain called the default network which is often referred to as the imagination network. He asks, have you ever been taking a shower and then all of a sudden you have a revelation? Or sitting in traffic and you solve a problem or a new idea comes to you? It's really because you're letting yourself daydream and be bored. And those are the moments when our brains make connections that we couldn't have found if we actively tried to think them out. We need these moments of pause in order for our brain to make creative and inventive connections across ideas. We're losing that ability. He goes on to say, I think we're losing the capacity to do nothing. He says, In my own life, I feel like I need to be doing something at all times, or I feel a sense of guilt. I feel a sense of guilt about my use of time. And the end result of that is higher stress levels and an unhealthier population. He said there's always something to pay attention to, right? 24-hour news, phone, you can always pay attention to something. There's always something to do, and we feel like we're accomplishing something by checking email or our Twitter feeds when we're in line to get coffee, He says, if we could get past the desire to occupy every minute of our days, we would actually devote hours to things that we care about rather than just feeling burned out from paying attention to things all day long. Can I get an amen? Right? Advent is a season that's all about waiting in anticipation. And so Advent really is a gift to the 21st century Western church because we are not good at waiting and everything around us is seeking to form us into people who are more and more impatient. Simeon and Anna, who we just read about, they... they Teach us a little bit how to wait well. Uh, Jeff Peabody, he points out how Luke introduces Simeon with a word that's normally translated as waiting. And in our scripture, that's what it was: waiting. It's the Greek word prostekomenos. But it could also be rendered as ready to receive to oneself. So ready to receive something to yourself the term really expresses an eagerness of welcome it's a hospitable kind of waiting as if Simeon has been preparing room for the Messiah Advent waiting isn't the same as waiting for the bus let's say Unless you're in Uganda with a bunch of other people waiting an hour for the bus together, let's say you're here, you're waiting for the bus, wondering when in the world is this bus going to come. Just sitting there. Not much you can do about it. Or maybe you start checking emails or reading a book or something to kind of distract you from the act of waiting. Waiting for the bus is almost entirely passive, but Advent waiting is more active. It's like it's like paying attention. Tim Wu, in his book, The Attention Merchants, he talks about how when all is said and done, at the end of our lives, we will be what we paid attention to. For him, that's the essence of how life evolves. What we decide to pay attention to determines who we become. Tim Wu is not a Christian author, but there's a Christian psychologist named Kurt Thompson. He has a handful of great books. One is called The Anatomy of the Soul. And one of his little lines that he says in his books and to his patients is, pay attention to what you pay attention to. Uh, So much of life is simply, what are you paying attention to? And he sort of zooms out a little bit and says, pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Notice that. Uh, Imagine that a friend of yours is talking, and eventually they're going to tell you something very important. I don't know what's important to you. Let's say it's some... They know the winning lottery numbers and they're going to tell them to you eventually as they're talking, okay? But first, they're telling you some stories about their kids. Then they're talking about how so-and-so team traded that guy for the other guy to the other team, and they're so frustrated about it. And then they talk for a good 20 minutes about their horoscope for that day and how accurate it is. Uh, and then they're sort of thinking out loud with you about what they're going to cook for dinner. Oh, but, you know, but I'm kind of trying to be a little more paleo right now. So I don't think that, I, but, you know, it's, maybe it's more healthy to eat the other way. I'm not sure. Okay. They're talking and talking and talking. The whole time you're waiting for those lotto numbers. But your waiting looks different than if you were waiting for the bus, right? You're not going to pull out a book or a magazine or go on your phone because you know something is coming. And you don't want to be distracted when it shows up. Even if you find their stories boring, you're listening. You're paying attention. You're not going to distract yourself. Your waiting is much more like Simeon's. It's ready to receive you're ready you're waiting for those lotto numbers in fact Simeon's name comes from this uh, Old Testament story where Leah Jacob's wife um, finally gets pregnant she has a son then she gets pregnant again she has a second son and she names him Simeon she names him Simeon this is in Genesis 29 she says because quote god has listened he has heard her so Simeon's name it literally means to listen some say to listen well or to hear intelligibly In their waiting, Simeon and Anna model for us the listening life. They foster an attentiveness to God by listening to his word and spirit. Uh, Simeon and Anna regularly attend the temple. In fact, it says that Anna basically lives there. While lots of things would have happened at the temple, one of them would be the reading of the Hebrew scriptures. So here at the temple, Simeon and Anna would have been oriented to the story of creation, the story of the exodus, of their people being freed from slavery, the story of the exile, of their people being dispersed and displaced and punished. And they would have been hearing all these prophets talking about the longing for a messiah the longing for a future where things are made right. So Simeon and Anna would have been hearing this. They would have been oriented to these stories as their stories, learning to wait actively and attentively. They would have been soaked in the word of God. But what makes their waiting in the word so powerful is their relationship to the Holy Spirit, because it's not just information ...and stories that they're receiving. It's this spirit relationship that they have. It's really obvious when talking about Simeon. Beginning in verse 25, as soon as Simeon is introduced... ...his connection to the spirit is brought to the forefront. Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon... ...who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel... And the Holy Spirit was on him. Uh, in Genesis, noting these stories that Simeon would have been familiar with, it, it says that the Holy Spirit is resting on the deep. And then what happens? God speaks and says, let there be light. And, and what this means is when the Holy Spirit is on something, when it's resting on something, uh, something new is often about to be made by God. And it's often going to involve some light. The Holy Spirit is on Simeon, and eventually he ends up holding what he calls the light to the Gentiles, the light of the world in Jesus. And verse 26 says, it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. So Simeon shows up in the temple, like he often seems to do as someone introduced to us as devout. And he shows up into the temple again, even after a lifetime of waiting. And on this particular day, Mary and Joseph also show up out of their obedience. And so out of this choreographic dance of obedience comes an encounter with incarnation. And the rhythm, that weekly or perhaps daily rhythm of entering into the temple... The rhythm uh, makes space for a rendezvous with God because Simeon ends up meeting him by being faithful. There in the temple, in that place where heaven and earth are said to overlap, the fullness of divinity and humanity come together in a sort of eight-day-old infant. And that's Emmanuel in his arms, in Simeon's arms. The spirit leads him here. This relationship, I don't know how. I don't know what it sounded like to Simeon when he heard the spirit prodding him to go to the temple that day. I don't know if it was an audible voice. I don't know if it was a dream, a vision, sort of just a sense in his gut. But he was obedient and went. And so imagine being Simeon in this moment, looking down, You're holding baby Jesus, looking down into perhaps the sleeping face of salvation. Of seven, eight, nine pounds of a promise. The end of Simeon's waiting in the beginning of Jesus' life. And he could have missed it all. This could have been, even holding the baby, this could have been just another cute baby that is asking for a blessing. His parents are asking for a blessing. So give the blessing, hand the baby back, go about your day. But Simeon was paying attention. His waiting was active. He was paying attention. He was living into his name and listening to the Spirit. And somehow, in the closed eyes and pudgy cheeks of a newborn... He saw the very face of God. And I like to imagine, when I imagine this situation, I know that, you know, it takes a couple months till babies can really smile, but they can have reflexive smiles as early as the day they're born, okay? So I like to imagine, at eight days old, Simeon holding the baby, looking down, and this little reflexive, quick smirk from baby Jesus at Simeon. And maybe there at the face of God smiling at him, is when he burst out into that prophetic praise song. Because whatever Simeon saw when he held Emmanuel was enough for him to burst out into this song. Verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. What a contentness he has just by holding this baby. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations. This is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He bursts out in this sort of worship. And one can argue that everything when we do, when we gather, for gathered worship. And every act of worship you have in your ordinary daily lives. That all of it is essentially paying attention to God. We attend. We bring ourselves into God's presence. He's already here. We show up. And we set our face towards him. We speak and we sing Directly to our God. Not thoughtlessly into the air. But concentrating on him. Contemplating him. And we listen. We listen carefully. Attentively. And we wait. Simeon and Anna were paying attention. They were listening and they were expectant. When you're face to face with someone listening paying you'll be paying attention to them right when you're face to face hopefully hopefully there's no phones between you but face to face you'll be paying attention this is the kind of relationship that the incarnation invites us into because all of a sudden god has a face in jesus god has a face and we can pay attention to him We can really listen. And this is the kind of waiting that we do in Advent. It's active. It's attentive. We seek to become like Simeon and Anna, able to discern the presence of Christ even as a newborn baby in our arms. You know, this is a a much shorter sermon than I've been giving lately, so... It's my Christmas gift to you. You're welcome. (laughs) But part of it is because for these four weeks of Advent, I want us to actually step in to practice a means of prayer, a means of paying attention. And so in just a moment, Duncan's going to come up to lead us in some prayer. But what I want to do as I close this sermon is read to you uh, the words from Romans 8. This is verses 22 through 28. And this is from Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. And I want you to just, even now, practice uh, some attentiveness, some listening. See how God might be speaking to you through God's word. What what word or phrase sort of sinks its way in there? Uh, Sit with that for a while. Maybe take that with you this week. I probably could have just read this passage and not even preached. It kind of says everything I was trying to say much better. But here we go. This is Romans 8, 22 through 28 in the message. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us. Any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become. And the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile. The moment we get tired in the waiting. God's spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray. It doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us. Making prayer out of our wordless sighs. Our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Heavenly Father, It's a lot easier to say, pay attention, than it is to actually pay attention. Especially when so many things, so many things that are uh, louder, flashier, more interesting, certainly more entertaining, are calling for our attention at every waking moment. So, Lord, if we're really going to hear from you, if we're really going to uh, set our ears, our eyes, our our sights on you, it's going to need to be a work of your spirit. So, Holy Spirit, would you be with us, be with this church this Advent and Christmas season that we might recognize you in our arms as Emmanuel.